Well, once again, happy Mom's Day to all the moms out there and to my mom who is uh, watching live right now on streaming. Love you, Mom. Uh, to have a mother that's still around, a great mother-in-law, and of course, an amazing wife who's been the best mom. I truly am blessed. And I ask Lori to come and speak a word of blessing to all, the, to all of us, but to all the ladies that are out here. Thank you, Carl. Happy Mother's Day to each of you, from a mom's heart to each of your mom's hearts. Thank you. Thank you for your dedication. What would our world look like without the sacrificial love of a mother? Think about it. And the hard work that every mom brings to the table. It's amazing how God made us the nurturing hearts of the home. I recently read an article entitled, What Are Women Most Afraid Of? Forbes Magazine. And I initially glanced at the magazine article thinking, okay, that's a topic that I probably would want to pay attention to. So I no longer was glancing, now I was staring at this article and I consumed it that quick. Because um, growing up, fear had placed a, a, just a dark shadow over me. It was just amazing. But I'll tell you, when I became a mom, that shadow now became a wider shadow. It was just incredible. Now I was not just responsible for myself, now I was responsible for a little one. And I was just now facing fear at a greater degree. And so I read some things in the article, and um, I could relate. And I don't know if we realize that, of course we do that women make up half of the workforce in our world. It's amazing. But yet we come home every day, and then we become the main caregivers of our families. We just roll up our sleeves, and we do it. And it's amazing how we feel that we're not enough, or we don't measure up. And I read in the article that we also struggle with um, comparison. We struggle with being judged. We struggle with being ourselves. We struggle with success. We struggle with failure. We struggle perhaps of losing that success. Anyone out there? Can you relate? And so I read the entire article and then it brought me back to a memory. I just remember struggling with Nathan, struggling with fear as Nathan um, was, when Nathan was born. And I just remember thinking, okay, now we're going to a new church. Now we're going to go to a new city. Now we're going to go to a new school. And when I showed up here at Trinity Christian School, I just remember being around other moms. And I remember, um, Maybe the story went like this, maybe it didn't, but I remember mom saying something to the effect of, yes, my child, little Billy Bob, little Susie, top of her class, top of his class, and I just heard that they were going to be valedictorian, and it was just in preschool. <laughs> and so I thought, oh my word, and if I had had an older mom, such as myself, telling a younger mom today, take it easy, yes. take it easy, it's going to be okay. I would have maybe been able to breathe a little bit better. So let's do that, dear moms, okay, for those younger moms in our, in our circle of influence. But I realistically would have perhaps told my children, Nathan was the firstborn, Jonathan was the secondborn, and I would have told Nathan, Nathan, Jonathan, when you watch mom overreact a few times, don't judge me. I have not had the opportunity to go to mom university yet because it doesn't exist, right? And I would have told him, hey, guys, we are on the learn-as-we-grow plan, so just work with me, right? Any moms out there? Yes. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, yes. There is no mom university. We do learn as we go. And there is God University. And God will give us the wisdom, the guidance, the patience, the understanding, and the courage to overcome our fears, every one of them one by one. How do I know that? 
I have lived that, and I am still living that, even there to, here today on this platform, overcoming fear. <laughs> yeah. And so Carl is going to be sharing about a woman of God out of Scripture, and they are the matriarchs that they challenge us and they inspire us. And so he's going to be sharing, and I want to pray a blessing over each of us, because I know back then these women were facing their fears to do what God had called yes. them to do, just like we are facing our fears today. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for every woman in the house today. We thank you, Lord God, for every mom in the house and grandmom, Lord God. We thank you for every guardian and every caregiver, Father. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that your blessing is upon them. Holy Spirit, let them know that you are for them today, that they are your leaders, Lord God. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us the ability, Lord God, to place, you've you placed love in our hearts to transfer to the next generation. We thank you, Lord God, that we will hold those little hands and, and they will be thrust into the world, but we will always hold those little hearts in our, in our big hearts forever. And Father, we thank you for your blessing upon the women today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, honey. You're welcome. I know some of you are thinking, like, just let her keep on going. But I put a lot of work in this message, so we're gonna, we'll tag team. How's that? Amen. Yeah. Well, we're still in the book of Acts, and amazingly, right where we were planning to be, uh, it happens to fall on Mother's Day, and it, it happens to fall on a story where we left off last week, and we're going to pick up this week, about an amazing woman that uh, Glory made mention of. Her name is Lydia, and the Bible gives us a a fairly good description of Lydia, and I can only imagine, as my wife was mentioning that Forbes magazine and like the top four fears that women are confronted with today, I can only imagine what fears she had to face and overcome 2,000 years ago. Uh, think of all the advancements, particularly in the modern world, all the advancements for women that have occurred since then. So here's a woman that we're going to be talking about studying today, and imagine what she had to overcome to be the woman that she is described to be in Scripture. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. So out of love, respect, esteem for God's Word, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to be in reading in verse 9 from the Holy Scriptures. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace and next to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's pray, God. Thank you for the reading of Scripture. Thank you, Father, for the entrance of your word. We'll give illumination to our hearts and minds. It'll be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It'll find a home in our hearts today and will not return back to you void. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... 
You may be seated. I came across this description of moms, and I just had to share it with all of you this morning. You know you're a mom when your feet stick to the kitchen floor and you don't care. You spend an entire week wearing sweats. Your idea of a good day is making it through without a child leaking bodily fluids on you. You have the local pizza dealer's number memorized uh, by heart. Your favorite television show is a cartoon. Your baby's pacifier falls on the ground, but you're too tired to go and wash it off, so you just stick it in your own mouth to clean it off and then give it back to your baby. <laughs> you're so desperate for adult conversation. When the telemarketer calls you, you unload on him and he hangs up on you. <laughs> and finally, you know you're a mom when spit is their, your number one cleaning agent. <laughs> Thank you, moms. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your tireless love. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for your dedication. Thank you for all that you have to juggle and all that you've always had to juggle. There's a few thoughts I want to share with all of us today, but particularly all the women that will be in our services this weekend. And my first point is this, three points. My first point is small beginnings lead to blessed endings. Never despise the day of small beginnings. Here's how Scripture says it in one translation. Let's read it out loud together. The people should not think that small beginnings are unimportant. Many times in our life, we look at small beginnings as insignificant, unimportant, of no consequence. But even as Sarah was sharing during the offering, the domino effect, sometimes it's one small event in your life that can create a cascading of events that leads to something really magnificent in your life. That's why you should never fear taking that small step, that first small step. And oh, to you, to everybody else around you, it might seem as though it's something so insignificant and so unimportant and uneventful. Think about the Apostle Paul. He is called to be an apostle to the Gentile world, to bring the gospel, not just to the Jews. Peter, he, his gospel was to the Jews primarily. Paul's was to the entire Gentile world. And in his first missionary excursion, uh, God did some incredible things. But now we're talking about his second missionary excursion, his second missionary journey. And remember, those of you that were with us last week, the Holy Spirit forbade Paul and his team to go preach in the province of Asia. Instead, he has this Macedonian call. A man appears to him in a vision and says, come and help us. So he concludes, wow, the Lord's calling us to Macedonia, and he's willing to travel land and sea to get there. Matter of fact, uh, let me give you a quick geography lesson. Uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey that's mapped out. And here's what's interesting. Throughout the entire ministry of the Apostle Paul, he traveled 10,000 miles preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the second missionary journey, you know, begins in Jerusalem and through Damascus and Antioch where Christians uh, were, where the believers were first called Christians, were, was there in Antioch, Antioch. Then he gets to this region here, Derby, Iconium, and Lystra. Uh, this is where we've been studying in Acts chapter 15. This is where he finds young Timothy, and uh, Timothy joins Silas and Paul and Dr. Luke and whoever else was a part of Paul's ministry team. And it's in this area that God forbids them to go into the area of Asia, which is this province here, all these different cities. And instead, he gets this divine heavenly call to go to this place, Macedonia, 
which meant he had to go from Troas, and he had to cross land and sea till he landed over here, and we talked about Neapolis, Philippi. This is the area right here that we just finished reading about, and this is where Paul ends up in this region in Macedonia. He travels land and sea, hundreds of miles, right? Ultimately, 10,000 miles throughout his entire ministry, and he gets to Macedonia. He had a vision of a man in a dream, come help us. When he gets to Macedonia, here's what's interesting. He ends up at a riverbank. He ends up at the beach, Because when he gets to that region, there are no synagogues. A synagogue was like a local church. And for all the worshipers of God, all the Jewish worshipers of God and the proselytes who were Gentiles who became Jews, they would go to a synagogue like we come to a local church on the Sabbath. For them, it would be Saturday. And they would hear the reading of Scripture, and they would have like a worship service. When Paul gets to the area of Macedonia, as as the gospels headed west, uh, because that's where Europe Italy, ultimately North America, the gospel would spread, right? This is the beginning. Don't despise the day of small beginnings because every great ending has a small beginning and they're all important, especially if you're being led by the Lord, right? So he gets to Macedonia. He can't find a synagogue because according to tradition, there had to be at least 10 men in a community, 10 God-fearing men in a community, and they would form a synagogue. There was no synagogue. But Paul heard about a prayer, prayer meetings that took place at the beach. So on the Sabbath, there were these dedicated men and women, in, in this part of the story, just women, dedicated women who loved God, who showed up together to have community and to worship God. Paul and his team, they arrive there, and they start sharing the gospel, and there's a woman there, just one woman there, Lydia, and God opens her heart, and she receives the message of the Apostle Paul. Now imagine, it could have seemed so insignificant, right? All the expense, all the time, all the travel to get to Macedonia after he had this this glorious vision, night vision, a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. He arrives thinking he's going to preach to men, And he ends up, you know, at some riverbank there in in that region of Macedonia, and he's preaching to a group of women, one in particular. Her name is Lydia. All the time, all the money, all the expense. Think about how God has always prioritized ministry to women throughout the entire Scriptures, particularly through the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Women, you have always been the apple of God's eye. You've always been a priority to him to receive ministry from him. It reminds me of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 4, when he told his disciples, out of the blue, we have to go through Samaria. And his disciples were thinking, Samaria, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were biracial. The Jews were very prejudiced against the Samaritans. And here's Rabbi Jesus saying, we have to go through Samaria. And they're probably thinking, why we had to go to Samaria? So they start trekking through this God-forsaken land. And it's God, Jesus, in human form, leading them. And they get to Samaria. He sends them off on an errand to go get some food. Jesus is all by himself. He's at a well, and there's a woman that comes to Jacob's well late in the afternoon. The woman at the well of Samaria, and Jesus has a conversation with this one. God interrupted his schedule. 
to show up at a well late in the afternoon so he could have a conversation with a woman from Samaria who had had five failed marriages and she was now shacking up with a guy. But Jesus didn't cast stones at her. He said, all your life you've been looking for a man. I am the man. I am the gift. I am the living water. And if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. She gave her life to Christ, one woman. All of that for one woman who went and basically started revival in her entire village, in her entire community. God interrupted his busy schedule so that he could go and have a conversation with one woman. This is where the Apostle Paul learned it. When he ends up there, he's thinking, this is like the ministry of my master, like Jesus. And he has this conversation with this woman. And it wasn't, it was a small beginning, but it wasn't an insignificant beginning because Lydia was the first convert to Christianity representing all of the western part of the hemisphere, the entire planet. The gospel would eventually go throughout all of Italy and France and all of Europe itself and ultimately Great Britain, and it would leap over the Atlantic to North America where the greatest nation outside of Israel was established 200 plus years ago with all of our shortcomings, with all of our sins, with all of our flaws. We're still the greatest nation that's ever existed. We espouse the greatest human rights of any nation that's ever existed, and we were founded on the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and it all started with this one woman in Macedonia by the name of Lydia. Come on, let's give it up for Lydia. I get so excited to think about the big picture whew, of what was going on here, that God prioritizes ministry to women. Thank God here at Trinity, we prioritize ministry to women, whether it's Heartline or our women's ministry or ministry to young women or to children, little girls, or through our school. We make ministry to women a priority because we're doing what God does. We're following the example of Scripture and of Jesus and of Paul. This entire service today... Maybe the 56 years of our existence as a church is for this one service for one woman Amen. that may, may be in our services today. That's how valuable, that's how important you are to God. And I pray like God opened up Lydia's heart, I pray that God will open up your heart. And if you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ, you'll do it today and become a new Lydia of a new generation. Come on, let's thank God. He's still in the heart-opening business today. Here's my second thought. What you value determines your value. What you value, what do you value in life? Who do you value in life? Well, every mom values their kids. That's what makes you so valuable is because you valuable, your va what you value is the right thing, to value family, to value children, because what you value determines your value. So what do we know about Lydia? Once again, Acts 16, 14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, which is interesting. Thyatira was the province of Asia where Paul and his team were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to go preach. Why? Because God plays chess, not checkers. <laughs> you like that? Because God thinks strategically. He knew that he wanted Paul to reach a woman by the name of Lydia living in Macedonia because eventually she would bring the gospel back to all of her family and friends that were living in the province of Asia where she was from, Thyatira, right? And so we also know something else about Lydia. She was a merchant of expensive purple 
cloth. We'll talk about that in a moment. She was an entrepreneur. Now, of all the details God could give us about Lydia, we don't know if she was married. We know she had a household full of people, so we can assume she was married. We could assume she had kids. But the Bible doesn't specifically tell us that. It specifically says she's from Thyatira. She was an entrepreneur. She was a businesswoman of expensive purple cloth who, say it with me, say it again. Okay, so we know what Lydia did. She was a merchant of expensive purple cloth. We know what Lydia had. She had a house. She invited Paul and his entire ministry team to come stay with her. We know she was a woman of great financial capital and wealth. She was a successful, 2,000 years ago, she was a successful businesswoman. She was a seller of purple. That's what she had. That's what she did. But what you have and what you do does not determine your value. I'll say that again. What you have, God bless you for that. That's great. It doesn't determine your, your worth. What you have doesn't determine your worth. What you do, here's what I do. God bless you for what you do. Keep doing what you do. Keep doing it with, as under the Lord and make the world a better place. But that doesn't ultimately determine your value. What you have and what you do does not determine your value. Who you are, what you worship, more importantly, who you worship, that determines your value and your real worth in the eyes of God. So Lydia, it's not what she had, it's not what she did, it's who she was. She made worshiping God a priority. Oh, I love this. It's the Sabbath. She's like Chick-fil-A, closed on, this, on the Lord's Day. Amen. God bless Chick-fil-A. You all need to be a supporter of Chick-fil-A. I heard our university, some people are trying to close the Chick-fil-A down at, at Texas Tech University. We got to let them know we love you, but we are not going to let you shut down our Chick-fil-A in our city. Amen. So it's Sabbath. You know what she's doing? Her shop's not open. She's gathered with other women who love God, and they're worshiping God on the Sabbath. Man, I love that. Worshiping God. So Paul, the greatest Christian that's ever lived, the greatest apostle that's ever lived, the greatest preacher, the greatest minister, a guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament uh, Bible, Paul the apostle, he sends Paul, Dr. Luke, Silas, Timothy, and his entire other ministry team all the way to Macedonia, traveling land and sea to get there on the Sabbath in time to preach the gospel to one woman by the name of Lydia, because God values women who value him and worship him. She didn't know Jesus yet. She was worshiping God according to Old Testament revelation. But now there's a new covenant. Now there's a new way. Now there's only one way to God the Father. It's not through all the ceremonies and festivals and sacrifices and all the feasts of the Old Testament. It's not in keeping the law. The new way to the Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And when Paul preached the gospel to Lydia, God opened her heart and she received Christ. Wow. But she was valuable enough that God sent Paul and his team to bring the gospel to her. You know, sometimes people that have a trouble with the Christian faith, they'll, they'll, they'll ask, I would think, if their heart's right, legitimate questions. 
You know, if the Bible's real, how did Cain find a wife out of nowhere? You know, if the Bible's real and you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, which he is, and what about that person that's never heard the gospel? Well, don't you worry about that. God's taking care of that, okay? It might be if you have such a burden, go preach to them. Well, I'm not talking about myself. Well, why not? You have that kind of a burden. Maybe the Lord gave you that burden. Here, let's get, let's get you a plane ticket. Where do you want to go to go preach the gospel? But here's what I do know. Here's Lydia. She's in Macedonia. The gospel hadn't gone west yet. This is the beginning of the gospel going west. She's a worshiper of God, and God says, I got to get the gospel message to her. Let's see who's available. Oh, the greatest Christian that's ever lived. Oh, the greatest apostle that's ever lived. Oh, the guy that's going to end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. I'll send Paul and his team all the way to Macedonia. Oh, they want to go to Asia? No, Holy Spirit, don't let them go to Asia. I've got a better plan. I want them to go to Macedonia. How are we going to get Paul to Macedonia? Trick him. Give him a dream of a man calling out for help. Because if he would have given him a dream of a woman calling out for help, he may have thought that dream came from the devil. So God gets Paul to go to Macedonia to preach, I'm kidding a little bit right there, to preach the gospel (laughs) to one woman. That's how valuable that one woman was. You know, according to a recent article in Wired Magazine, how much do you think you're worth? You know, they did did some uh, adding up of values of a human being. They found out that the average person is worth about $45 million if we can harvest all your organs and sell them on the black market. About 45 million. You know, your lungs, your heart, your kidneys, your DNA, your bone marrow, all of that. I mean, like 45 million. Unless you're my age, it's probably about 5 million, you know. Like, who needs this 56-year-old heart, right? They, they want you 20-something-year-old hearts out there, okay? But then they said, how much is a human corpse, like the body, just the body itself? And so what they did is they looked at, like, all the chemical elements in, a, in an average body like oxygen, potassium, sodium, uh, rubidium. And they added up all of that, and guess how much you're worth? $160. Look to your neighbor and say, I know you're worth more than that. Come on. I mean, $160. That's like a good meal at the double nickel, as long as you don't get their appetizer and buy drinks. Amen. (laughs) I, I think each person's worth more than that. And you are. And what makes you valuable? What you do? No, that's important, but that's not, that doesn't define you. What you have? God bless you if you have a lot. And if you have a lot, you better give God glory for that. But that's not what makes you valuable. What makes you valuable is who you are. You are a child of God, created in the image and likeness of God, and God has a purpose and a plan for you, and you're valuable enough that God sent his very best, his only begotten son, to come to this sin-cursed world of ours, to bleed, suffer, and die on a cross, and be raised gloriously from on the third day so that you could have salvation, so he could redeem you, so he could ransom you, so he could buy you back from the devil. That's what makes you valuable. Listen, your value doesn't decrease because someone, someone's inability to see your worth. Just because somebody can't see your worth doesn't decrease your value. I'll say that again. Just because somebody else may not see your worth doesn't decrease how valuable you truly are to God. So, ladies, never shed a tear for a man who doesn't value your worth. He's not worth it. 
<laughs> but he left me. Good, he's a loser. <laughs> you don't need him. You have a friend that's just closer than a brother. His name's Jesus. Come on, somebody. And God is a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow. You're going to be all right. You're going to be better than just all right because you're blessed and highly favored and God has a plan for your life and if he couldn't see your value and worth, hit the road, Jack. Someone better is out there. That's some good preaching right there. All you ladies should be standing up saying, preach Pastor Carl, preach Pastor Carl. <laughs> Being successful in life, nothing wrong with that. Having a lot of things, nothing wrong. Of all the things the Bible could have said to describe Lydia, it says she was a merchant. That means she was an entrepreneur in that day. We call it today an entrepreneur. She was a successful businesswoman. She was the first Christian Dior, Coco Chanel, and Versace, all wrapped up in one that ever existed. And she was a dealer, a seller of, of a legitimate business. How many know there are some really unlegitimate businesses? Like, she was not the seller of drugs. She was not the seller of vices. She was the seller of what every woman loves, what retail therapy for women, shopping, beautiful clothes. That's, I mean, she knew how, it's a lot of money in that. And she was a seller of purple. You know that purple was the most expensive dye that was made from a murex shell, which was very rare in that time. One of the most valuable commodities of antiquity. And she was a seller of purple. Here's what's interesting. You know, colors in the Bible mean something. Take, for example, the color green. It represents immortality. It represents everlasting life. It represents prosperity. You'll be like a tree, which is green, planted by the rivers of living water. You'll bring forth your fruit in season. And it says there in Psalm 1, the color green is made up of two colors. What are the two colors that green is made up of? Yellow and blue. Yellow is a, is a color of trials, because your trials will be turned to gold, gold, yellow. Yellow represents trials. Blue represents the Word of God. Yellow and blue together makes the color green. So purple, guess what two colors make up the color purple? Red and blue. Red represents the blood of Jesus. Blue represents the Word of God. So purple is the color of royalty. Purple is the color of kingship. Oh, and I'll tell you what. She made men and women feel like royalty when they put on that purple garment. All of us should be merchants of purple. We should be awakening men and women to their purpose and destiny in Christ, that you're called to reign with Christ. You're called to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're called to be a priest of God and kings of God. As the book of Revelation says, we're heirs of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ. And when we surrender our life to Christ, we become a part of a royal priesthood. We become part of a holy nation. We become a peculiar people. And we live in this world, but we're not of this world world for our citizenship is in heaven. Man, you all are bringing the preach out of me today. Let me tell you something. Wow, purple. She was a seller of purple. You know, we're all selling something. Did you know that? We're all in sales. Everybody in here. You're in one way or the other. If you're, if you're applying at a school to get accepted, you're selling yourself. If you're applying for a job, you're, you're selling. You're, you're trying to sell that company that you're the person they need to hire based on your experience, based on your character. So basically, what is selling? It's convincing, influencing, and persuading somebody for an exchange. 
Paul, not to cheapen the preaching of the gospel, he was, he was presenting Christ. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. His, his, his passion in life was to get you, to convince you, to inspire you, to persuade you. And he almost persuaded King Agrippa. He said, almost, Paul, you persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, not only you, but all that listen to me today, I wish that you were as I am, yet without these chains. He did everything in his power, traveled land and sea, was stoned, beaten, jailed, shipwrecked, ultimately head cut off to preach the gospel to everyone and anyone on any occasion, kings and peasants, everyone alike, to tell them you must repent, give your life to Christ so that you could have eternal life. He was selling Jesus. He was convincing, persuading, and influencing people to exchange their sin for his righteousness, and he was the best that ever did it. Thank God for the Apostle Paul, and God sent him to Macedonia to preach to Lydia because she was so valuable. Look at Psalm 49.8. For the redemption of their souls is costly. How much does it cost to redeem one soul? Some people say, well, that could have been such a waste, all the time, effort, energy, money, for Paul as an entire ministry team to travel land and sea to get to Macedonia to get one convert, just one. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. It would be the domino effect that would mean the gospel would be preached throughout all of Europe, and eventually we're listening to a gospel that I'm preaching today, and the first convert that represented all of the West was this woman, Lydia, and what a joy it is for us to study and talk about Lydia as Scripture has immortalized this woman and what this woman accomplished and what she has achieved in the Holy Scriptures. Never discount, ladies, what you do for Christ. It may not be the biggest. It may not have the most numbers. It might have just one life. That one life might be your son. That one life might be your daughter. That one life might be your grandson. That one life might be your granddaughter. But pour your heart and pour your life because that child has value. And who knows what God has in store for that one life. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. And finally, my last point, a receptive heart yields a fruitful life. A, recept a receptive heart yields a fruitful life. I love what it says in verse 14 once again. It says, she worshiped God, and as she listened, and as she listened, as she listened to the greatest, the greatest Christian, who was the greatest apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Talk about Jesus, the Jesus that he met on the road to Damascus. As she listened that Jesus was Messiah and the only way to the Father, the Lord did something. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Lord opened. I love that. The Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Something happened in that moment as the gospel was being presented by Paul. She was a worshiper of God, but her worship was incomplete. She needed to be saved. Every good person out there, every God-fearing person, every person that worships the one true and living God, it's not enough. You must receive his son, his, the savior of the world, Jesus. You must make him the Lord of your life, and you must love and follow him all the days of your life. When she heard that, her heart was open. We, we come into this world and our hearts are closed. Our, our hearts are shut up tighter than the castle at Helm's Deep, for those of you that are Lord of the Ring fans like me. But anyway, <laughs> her heart was shut up 
like a fortified castle. That's how we come into this world. Maybe you're here today and your heart is closed to Jesus. I can only present the gospel. It takes the Holy Spirit to open up your heart. Like a beautiful flower opens its petals up to the the, the rays of the sunlight and to receive the dew of heaven. Like the parched ground opens itself up to drink in the fresh rains that come down from the heavens. Only God can open up your heart, your spirit, to receive the gospel message, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to come to a place of acceptance in who Jesus is, to open up. I looked up that Greek word open, and it's, it's in an aorist active in, uh, uh, indicative uh, old word with a double compound, and, and it's quite an interesting. It means to open wide completely like a folding door, both sides being opened up like a beautiful flower being opened up to the sun rays, as I said. Maybe your heart's closed, but I pray today you will accept, as Lydia did, the gospel message that Jesus is Lord, that your heart will open. We know she became a legitimate, genuine Christian. Why? First of all, her faith became contagious. She didn't keep it to herself. She brought it to her entire household. That's why we can assume she was married, had kids, and had a bunch of employees. She brought it to everybody. Number two, God opened her heart, but Lydia opened her home. She opened up her home to Paul and his ministry team. Come, stay with me. You have, you know, they weren't hotels and motels and resorts like there are today. Come, stay with me in my home. Listen, God can't open your heart and your hand remain closed. God can't open your heart and your hand remain closed. If God opens your heart, you need to open your home, open your life, open your blessings that God's blessed you with to help support the advancement of the kingdom of God. Finally, she was baptized. Look at verse 15 once again of Acts 16. She was baptized, she was baptized, she was baptized along with other members of her household. And she asked us, this is Luke talking about Paul and the ministry team, she asked us, Lydia, Lydia asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. She probably sounded like that. (laughs) And look at the last part. And she urged us until we agreed. Lydia was a salesperson, and she never stopped convincing, influencing, and persuading. She had to influence, convince, and persuade the greatest Christian that ever lived, the greatest apostle that ever walked the face of the earth, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. She said, buddy, if you really think that I am a true believer in Jesus, then you're going to have to prove it to me by coming to my house and being my guest. When she put it that way, how could the greatest Christian that's ever lived, the greatest apostle that's ever lived, deny this woman's request? She knew how to sell anyone, any place, anytime, anything. And she convinced Paul and Dr. Luke and young Timothy and Silas and the rest of his ministry team. She had a house big enough. How many of you know being a worshiper of God and being wealthy is not a contradictory term? 
God wants you to be blessed, and if you will love him and serve him, and you will live to the full potential of Christ in you, he wants you to be blessed so that you could be a blessing. And those are the details that God gives us about this woman, Lydia. But here's what's interesting. Now, in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, anytime somebody gives their life to Christ, they don't pray a sinner's prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Because the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made in salvation. That's verses 9 and 10 of, of, of Romans chapter. Nothing wrong with that. They didn't answer an altar call. Nothing wrong with an altar call. Over the Easter weekend, we had altar calls in all of our services. We had like 120-something-plus people that gave their life to Christ. Nothing wrong with that. But in the Gospels, in the book of Acts particularly, when somebody gave their life to Christ, the very next thing they did, they were water baptized. Now listen to all my Church of Christ friends out there. Don't mean to offend you, but water baptism doesn't save you. Faith alone in Christ alone is what saves you. To all my Catholic friends out there, getting a little bit of water thrown on you when you're a baby, that doesn't save you. You need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ once you reach the age of accountability, whether it's five years old or eight years old or ten years old. And it's only faith in Christ that saves you. But water baptism is a commandment in Scripture. And last night, if we could show those pictures again, last night we had like 20-some-odd people uh, from all ages, uh, all backgrounds, were water baptized, and look at the joy on these kids' faces as they're identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at that beautiful smile. Look at the joy upon these people's lives because they've surrendered their life to Christ. The Lord opened these people's hearts, and they accepted Jesus, and the very next thing that you need to do as soon as possible, you need to be water baptized because that's how we make a public profession of our faith in Christ. What an example Lydia is to all the moms, but not just all the moms, to all the women in our services this weekend, but not just to all the women, to all the men and all the children for all the world. She was the first convert as the gospel was going to spread westward. I pray she won't be the last, that if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, that you would have let the Lord open your heart and you would receive Jesus as your Savior. If you need to rededicate your life to Christ, we're all going to pray a prayer together. And if you'll say it with your own mouth, mean it from your own heart, and you are willing to turn from your sins and to turn in faith to Jesus Christ, he'll come into your life and he'll change your life from the inside out. Every head bowed, please, every eye closed. If that's you, here we go. Pray it out loud. Say it with your own mouth, but more importantly, mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. 
and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?